Hello, my friends, it's us again. Your tools day hosts with a new friend. Today we're talking about Nellify. What's new and cool and Jamstack Life. Welcome to Podcast, a podcast all about tech tools, tips. Wait, did I say welcome to podcast? <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping that. Welcome to Tools Day, a podcast all about tech tools, tips, and tricks every other Tuesday at 2, although today is Wednesday, Wednesday release. Um, we are here today. Uh, my name is Yuna. I am your co-host. And I am Chris, your other co-host. We've kind of done a spin here, which is we really throwing me off. <laughs> well, I started it with Welcome to Podcast. <laughs> Oh, and today we have a special guest, Jason Langstorff. Jason, say hello. Hello, everyone. So excited to have you here. And the topic of today's presentation will be what's new in Netlify. Yay. Okay, you know. I, I said I started saying it slower and slower yeah, over I the years. To, to it looked like you were about to do a countdown, like a three, two, one thing, <laughs> and then it didn't happen. And I was I was very confused after that. All right, ready? So. Three, two, one. What's, <laughs> What's new, new in Netlify? That might have sounded okay. better on the recording. I don't know. You know <laughs> it was we'll delayed see. for me. <laughs> anyway, um, lots of cool features I'm excited to talk about because Chris and I use Netlify. We talk about it all the time on the show, but I don't think they were up to date on like some of the newer cool things um, Jason's going to talk about on-demand static site rendering. Uh, serverless functions have a bunch of new great reporting features, which I'm excited to hear about, and also build plugins. But on top of that, Netlify launched a new feature today that Jason is going to chat about at the end of our show. So make sure that you stay tuned to hear all about what's launching today. Uh, but first, we got a message from our sponsor, Voyage App, voyageapp.io. Uh, Voyage is a tool built by and for developers. It's designed to save you hours of your time by, by automating staging environments for your full stack application for every pull request and includes feedback tools with every deployment so you don't have to juggle between emails, Slack, Excel, Airtable, what have you. Um, they got a bunch of cool features, um, are kind of our favorites. The first one is the full stack part of it. So if you're like me, you may have a backend, you may have a database, you may have a, the UI, um, maybe in a mono repo, maybe like five different repos, but uh, Voyage lets you orchestrate all these, these, these things for, at one time and lets you have one single deploy for that. Uh, they have a cool um, unique URL for every deployment, as well as feedback tools for each of these URLs. And then finally, it is, of course, safe and secure. Um, your code is completely secure and never accessible by any team, including their own. Um, initially, you can um, password protect every URL. So if you wanted to keep it secret, um, very possible. So uh, set sail with Voyage and save time and headaches with their automated staging environments. I don't know if I've brought this up before, but I feel like that password feature is so underrated. It Especially actually... for like if you're working on a feature that hasn't released yet and you want it to leak, or if you're doing something like a wedding website, like it's just, it's nice to have. <laughs> yes, please, no wedding websites. <laughs> websites. Oh. You know, you know is, is, is intimately familiar with that experience right now. <laughs> yes, it's, um, I'm breaking the web with SVG animations. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, check out Voyage. And also, I'm, I'm excited to dive into some of these Netlify features too. So yeah, Jason, where should we kick it off? 
Oh boy. Um, so I think probably the most exciting thing that that is uh, is pretty new here is that we have been trying to figure out how do we solve the problem that people run into when they talk about Jamstack websites, which is that you it's great at first and then the site grows and over time the build starts to get slower and slower because you've got more content, more assets, all these things. Um, and so we have been working on patterns to address that. Uh, Netlify and the Jamstack in general is leaning heavily on serverless functions as a, a way to kind of give front-end developers a lot more capabilities and to help teams kind of move without needing to ask for back-end resources or, or learn a new skill set of managing back-ends. Um, so part of that is this new feature that, or a, really a new pattern that we're, we're trying to get feedback on in an RFC called distributed persistent rendering. And it's a big so word right there. It's a big word, I know. Um, but the, yeah, the general fancy. idea. <laughs> so the, the big idea is that, you know, what makes the Jamstack useful is this, this mental model of you have a thing, you build it once, and then it it's always the same. So you're not relying on servers. You don't have to worry about whether the, the server is going to give you a different result each time that it renders. You know, you're... you're deploys are immutable. You've got this, this sense of predictability, right? Um, traditionally, when you do that in a, a build step, that is really powerful, but that's where that slowness comes from. You have to do all the building up front. So this pattern of distributed persistent rendering is moving some of that build step into a, a kind of deferred build. So you can build the important parts of your site. So, you know, look at your analytics, get the 20% of the pages that get 80% of the views and build those synchronously. And then the rest of it can be done async, on demand. So when somebody comes to your site, they hit a URL. If that URL hasn't been rendered yet, it gets built in a serverless function. And then that the result of that serverless function gets persisted to the cache. So it's still a Jamstack site in the sense that you are taking your content and your templates, you're building it once, and then you're persisting that to the CDN. We're just allowing that work to happen later uh, as needed to help get those builds out a little bit faster and also to respond to things that can't work in a build step, like user content or, or things like that. Interesting. So a website like dictionary.com could have all the weird words that no one ever knows about or looks up kind of asynchronously loading. Uh, nice. Yeah. So and that's, that's really the model we're looking for too, is how do we, how do we enable like the Wikipedia use case on the Jamstack? And just just for my because I feel like the front the word Jamstack is, is is used for a variety of different things. In this case, this is this is saying that this build that we're thinking about uh, has generated, let's say, a index HTML file for every route you're working on. And um, what this is letting me say, hey, we won't build that specific HTML file until you hit that URL, and then Netlify will build it for you, and then so that for your initial build, it only builds whatever you've, you've defined is that, is that exactly accurate? okay yeah it's uh it's it's really like one of the ways that that we've seen it used is uh zach leatherman for example the creator of 11d um he just used it for the site gallery on the 11d uh website where he was building like 400 plus pages and right. having to generate images and things like that he cut that out of his build step and now when you hit one of those urls it caches by path so you're gotcha. you're able to yeah. say like you know for this path i want to go generate this these assets it returns a, a content type text html and then we'll persist that to the to the edge 
so that you as a, a site visitor, if you're the first one to hit it, you'll spend the 150 milliseconds or so to get that site rendered. And then after that, you get those, you know, those really snappy Jamstack 40 millisecond return times. Oh, interesting. So it would be, you would need a user to activate it and then it would take a little bit longer to render, but it would be persistent after that. Yes, but you can, uh, you can be clever about it because if you are building your site and you have a finite set of content, even if you don't build all of it in the, the synchronous step, you can use, uh, and we'll talk about these in a minute, but you could use like a deploy plugin or some kind of mm. post deploy hook to go through and hit all of the URLs so right. that your robot could be the first user that gets that slowed down hit. And then yeah. everybody else who comes in would get it uh, very snappy. As somebody who used to work in publishing, I'm wondering if you could kind of do the opposite where if an article hasn't been landed on for a long time, can you then remove that from your build step? Yeah, I mean, the the way that we have been thinking about it and what I'm really interested to see uh, other people, you know, how other tools implement it, but we have the access to analytics, you know, mm. um, there's, you could, if you're looking at your Google analytics, you can see these are my top pages and mm. like the, you know, these are the pages that get more than three or four hits a day or, or you know, the, the, the ones that get the, the vast majority of the traffic and only build those and then if you don't want to render pages that don't get looked at, if you've got a page that only gets one or two hits a month, you can just let it sit until it gets hit. And, and then you yeah. never use the electricity to build it. You never, you know, use your own compute time to, to deal with it. It's just less work. You kind of ignore it until it's a, until it's a necessity. And honestly, you can, you know, if you're looking at your analytics and you see that nothing, something's never getting hit, you can also just put in a redirect and, and not think about <laughs> yeah. it anymore anyways. <laughs> I, so I, I'm curious. So this is so uh, um, I vaguely remember. I think Next has uh, something similar where they have like a incremental static building, uh, st st static page building. Is this similar and integrates with that, or what is the connection there? There, so they're they're very similar models um, with a slightly different twist because okay. the the way that uh, they call it uh, what is it incremental static regeneration is uh, ISR is the the short term. And what they're doing is they're, they're using stale while revalidate under the right. hood and like running a server. Okay. So the, the upside of that is that you get these snappy build times. Um, you, you know, when somebody hits the, the URL, it's going to re-render in the background. The trick with that though, is that it's introducing this, this need, unless you're using a, a platform that does it for you, you you're managing caches and mm -hmm. you have this lack yep. of predictability. So okay. in between deploys, if you, if you hit a route, um, you might get different content for that same route. And that kind of, it makes it tricky, right? Because that, yeah. that revalidation, yeah. it, it just adds another layer of complexity to how you, your mental model of your website works. Gotcha. Um, so what we're doing and like, that's how, uh, for example, next get static props routes. Uh, one way that they can function is they have that, that kind of like deferred loading. And in Netlify, we, we support next out of the box. You can deploy a next site to Netlify and we'll support, uh, everything except that revalidate feature because in, in our, in the Jamstack model, that revalidation so breaks right. immutability. So we, we don't support it. Okay. Um, so functionally speaking, they're they're roughly equivalent, but there's some like the the DPR approach is there to preserve that immutability. Okay. Um, yeah. And yeah, so so that's kind of the the major difference. 
I love these acronyms, DPR, ISR. I know, I know. <laughs> My favorite, though, is that uh, we we decided to call the like the product feature for this on-demand builders, Okay. for which the acronym is ODB. Okay. ODB. That's how you know you're deep in the jam joy. stack. Everything's an acronym. <laughs> yeah. I feel like anytime you work at a slightly larger company, things just evolve into acronyms. Um, mm -hmm. It's just like real quick, like, hmm. Everyone knows what ODP means, obviously, right? It's just like a, that's how we it work here. It took me like a year to understand what OKR actually stood for. <laughs> we don't do OKRs at Netflix, so I am thankful that I've never had to... Uh, Use the word. What does it mean? What is it? Operational? Key? Objectives and uh, key results. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. Because you got several O's and then key KRs. <laughs> anyway... Speaking of, there's no transition here. <laughs> um, Jason, you also mentioned that there are a bunch of reporting features for serverless functions. And I feel like last time that we had a show on Netlify, it was 2018. And it was like just when functions were kind of becoming a thing on mm -hmm. Netlify. Um, we had Phil on. So what has evolved since then? Yeah. So, so what we're realizing is that I think at first functions were kind of seen as this nice to have. Um, but as we've seen more and more people bringing in production use cases and, and building more uh, more apps, we're starting to see serverless as like a, a real superpower for front end teams. You know, if, you, if you're if you a front end developer, um, modern front ends end up having a lot of needs that fall into to what I would describe as like middle tier work, where you need like, you have to make an authenticated call so you can't expose an API key. So you can't do that on the client side. But that's not really a thing that you would assign to a backend team because it's it's related to the front end. And now you find yourself in this kind of murky middle ground where you need to do some backend work, but it's not really a backend job. It's a front end job. And so a lot of uh, front end developers, and you know, uh, I think <laughs> this may feel familiar, Chris, from from some of your work. But like wh when I worked at IBM, I I found myself often trying to build a front end and then working on node servers to support that that front end so i instead of being able to be a front end developer i was doing all of this middle tier back end work and then i was dealing with i had to deploy that node server i had to do devops for that node server and so what serverless is doing is it's it's allowing us to handle that middle tier work in a way that doesn't introduce a whole new skill set so the deployment for it is like committed to your github repo and it's live um, you're not dealing with proxying. You're not dealing with the, the domain gateway or any of the routing stuff. You just get to write some logic and it goes live. So no ops, no no server management. Um, and because of that, what we're seeing is that teams that are adopting this, it's, it's making front-end teams really autonomous. They can build so much by adopting the serverless workflow. And that, of course, means that you know more powerful workflows means we need more powerful tooling. So we're working on... Um, Log drains, uh, better function reporting where, wait, wait. you know, you've, we've got like, oh, go ahead. Wait, log, where does log drains here? Log drains. Yeah. So, so for, um, for like enterprise companies, they, they kind of take their logs from all their different services and, and then they drain them into centralized services so that they can, they can gotcha. kind of keep okay. track of yeah, how yeah. things are happening. Yeah. It's a very enterprisey feature, but, yeah. um, if you want to put your, your logs into like Datadog is a, a popular target for this, you, we now support that, um, we also have like better sorting and filtering. So if you go to your your functions logs in the Netlify dashboard, you can 
filter down by error messages, or you can look for a certain request so that you can see what the logs were for that. Um, so we color to, code things. And... Just to give a little like context, like with this logging. Um, so this mm -hmm. would be like when I land on a website, there is an error that might log if I'm trying to do something. So all those errors would get consolidated and pushed onto another service. Yeah, that's that's how log drains are, are kind of designed is is that because then you can set um, like alerting thresholds and stuff across your entire uh suite of web properties or, or really your entire suite of software properties um which me means the ops team doesn't have to go check eight places if something goes wrong they just get to look at datadog and say oh yeah we're seeing like an error spike on this service let's alert that team and then the front end team gets paged and they go fix their serverless function um very cool yeah it's really really handy stuff I'm I'm kind of curious um, around around functions and and um, what you've been seeing and so like you know for me you know for a while I would look at functions like oh this seems interesting but it seems this is a little bit I, I you know I, I can totally relate with the with the feeling of hey you know I'm a UI engineer but I have to have some transform in the server I need to have some some call and so yeah you, you know half my job really is also doing node work. Uh, in addition to other, my other UI stuff, I'm kind of curious on, do you at Netlify, can you, can you just kind of see in general what people are doing with functions and, you know, the adoption rate or? Um, uh, yeah, that's a great question. Like, what are the general trends? We're we're seeing a lot of of uptick on serverless functions. And, and granted, you know, like, my view of this is very skewed by the fact that I'm working very hard to get people to adopt serverless <laughs> functions. So take everything I'm saying yeah. with a grain You're of salt. Okay what I've noticed for, <laughs> for my, from my own experience and like from conversations that I'm having, serverless functions is, is one of those things that um, I think people thought that it was harder than it is. And so I'm noticing a lot of people getting their first experience with serverless functions and they realize that it is more approachable than they thought. Yeah. And then everything that they build, the serverless becomes the default tool. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of front end teams pick it up. Like we've got it from our, our enterprise customers are doing a lot of serverless functions that helps with that middle tier work. You can also deploy APIs on it and stuff. Like for example, the, the learn with Jason um, API is a serverless function. Okay. Um, and then I use this, this uh, distributed persistent rendering pattern so that when you hit my API, you only hit the underlying database once for a given route until I redeploy mm. um, so that my API is cached and very fast and, and all that stuff. Um, but I didn't have to build a node server. I didn't right. have to deal with like caching or rate limiting or any of those things because it's it's heavily, that's all optimized and, and managed for me by the serverless layer with that on-demand builder kind of in place. Um, so we're seeing more and more companies realize that that sort of thing is possible. And as they unlock those possibilities, it starts to become more and more integral to their flow. So it's, right. it, it really is, um, it's, it's kind of like one of those things. It's like, it's the gateway serverless function. If you try the first one and you see yeah, how yeah. easy it is to deploy it and get that thing out there, you'll suddenly see the whole world opens up and you're like, man, I could do a lot with this. I, you know, you know. Whenever I look at at at, at functions, I I have I, I haven't for whatever reason I haven't explored them as much as I should. Um, yeah, I was I just think, thinking we should do a show just specifically <laughs> on serverless functions. It, it's one of those things where, like, you know, I you know I'm doing two kind of side projects. They both have an API, and it didn't even really occur to me to not just spin up a Node application and push it versus 
using functions. I, you know, I think in the back of my head, I had read something, oh, you know, cold starts for functions. Um, uh, and then I just didn't spend any more time with it. Um, I am kind of curious, like, you know, what are some of the, you know, when you get questions about functions, what are the kind of the common, like, misconceptions you've seen about functions, maybe? Um, I, think, I mean, cold starts is a big one, right? Like, yeah. the, it, it, and I think it, it used to be worse than it is. Like, cold starts were, because, I mean, okay, maybe some context on serverless, like what it was and what it is now. Okay. So yeah. the, the origin of serverless functions was companies like AWS had all this spare server capacity and they weren't monetizing it. So they were like, well, we could just, you know, put this serverless technology on there, let people rent a little bit of that serverless compute time on demand and we'll monetize it somewhat. So we don't just have all this, this empty rack space unused. Um, in that case, if you hit a box that wasn't active, it had to like spin up before you'd be able to make your serverless function call. So if you hit a cold box, it would be, you know, multiple seconds before you would get a response back. And that cold start is a problem. So then you had all these strategies about like, you had to call your function on some random, like regular interval to make sure the box was warm and so on and so forth. That's less of a thing these days because serverless is, is becoming such a mainstream technology that you're not seeing multi-second cold starts. You're seeing like 200 millisecond, 300 millisecond cold starts, which in the grand scheme of things for the, the trade-off in performance, like if I can ship a thing in 12 minutes and the, the trade-off is that every once in a while it'll take an extra 300 milliseconds to return, I don't, I don't know Seems when fine. I was, <laughs> like, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm very comfortable with that. And, and I, I also think that, you know, the more active a serverless function is the, the less likely that is, a, is going to be an issue, which also means that for the places where it's really critical, like, you know, heavy e-commerce solutions, those functions get hit hard enough and often enough that they're, they're not really, a, they're always going to be warm. Gotcha. But you can also use functions like this to do like a, you know, a daily or a less frequent action, like updating mm -hmm. your search and things like that. Yeah, we uh, we support something called background functions, which are like long running jobs where mm -hmm. you can, uh, you know, you could set up a cron job or something and say, I want you to run a batch report, go hit all of these different databases, do all this, this processing and generate a PDF that you'll email to me. Um, and those types of jobs can be run in a serverless function. You can do um, like one of the, the things that, that I've seen people do is they use it to launch new content. They have a cron job that runs every hour and it checks for published dates on posts and just takes the new thing live. Um, mm. There's there's a lot of ways that you can use serverless functions that it you know it's all logic that you would write in a node server. You just don't also have to write all the boilerplate and deployment stuff to to get that node server live. Which is amazing because in our last episode we were reminiscing about doing this and how how unwelcoming like a docker container is that you have to ssh into and set up your node process and like i'm thinking back the all almost all the things i did with node i think i could just use serverless functions for and i don't even think i could do them in node anymore because i haven't used it in so long <laughs> <laughs> i feel that pain like I, <laughs> I had to i had to get a docker container out the other day and i i found myself like I was like, okay, I need to get a node server. And so I, I got Express and I wrote my routes and I was really happy. I added some middleware to do some security stuff. And then I was like, okay, deploy. Okay, I need a Docker container. So I got my Docker container and then I went to DigitalOcean and then I'm trying to get that to work. And I was like, wait, 
is this going to scale? And then I'm looking at Kubernetes config and I was like, this is too much. Like I just, I've completely forgotten how to deploy things. <laughs> literally, basically the, the experience I went through about two weeks ago where I, uh, I was like, oh, God, uh, why is this so painful? Um, yeah, literally same. Um, let's, let's also talk about build plugins. I want to hear about these. Yeah. So one of the, the primary features of Netlify is, is the kind of CICD process, right? We're, we're, we built our name on this idea that you, you make a commit, you push it to GitHub and we will automatically build and deploy your site. And that convenience is like really core to our experience. So when you start needing extra features, um, up until now, there wasn't really an option. So when we introduced build plugins a little while back, the goal was to give you more control over what happens in that CICD process. So we've exposed hooks. You've got a, a pre-build and post-build and pre-deploy and post-deploy where you can run extra processing jobs. So a couple examples of that would be, um, like I wrote a, a build plugin that keeps the Gatsby cache around. So when you, when you go to deploy your Gatsby site, um, after your first build on, on post-build, I will grab the dot cache and the public folder from Gatsby and I'll put them into a, a Netlify cache. Like Netlify keeps a cache for node modules and stuff to make your builds faster between. So I'll put it there. And then on your next build, pre-build, I'll go and grab that and put it back into the, the system so that Gatsby is building with a primed cache, which usually results in like a 50 plus percent reduction in, in build times. Um, so there's, there's optimizations Ooh. like that. Or you've got things like post-deploy, there's a Cypress plugin that will run your uh, integration tests against the live site and like send you a Slack message if something is wrong. Or a uh, the Lighthouse test to get performance results on on how whether or not your site is more or less performant than the last deploy. And so there's, there's all these really interesting use cases and, and they're written as just like node code. So you can kind of build whatever you want in there um, and either use it internally, you can deploy them alongside your site as, as source code, or you can use from a library that we've got uh, of build plugins that you can one-click install. So with these build plugins, like just say, for example, the Lighthouse plugin, mm -hmm. where do you see the results of that? Is it in GitHub? Is it on Netlify? Right now it's in the, the build log on Netlify. So um, you would see it in your deploy log. What we're looking at doing is also reporting that back to the GitHub PR. Mm. And that's so what I love. Some, I love like GitHub plugins. Yeah, we're we're pretty excited about those and, and I think there are a lot of really good opportunities for, for better reporting and, and something that's on our radar is just kind of integrations in general. Like how do we work better with the ecosystem and, and make sure that you know you don't have to go to a deploy log to get the value because that is useful, but like it is also nice to just if you're working in GitHub to keep your workflow in GitHub. It's yeah. definitely nice to have that log, but I feel like what's even nicer is when you have a comment bot yelling at you because you've introduced <laughs> <Yeah>. Jank. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like that as a, yeah, you, you've introduced Jank. <laughs> yeah. We, we have a couple of integrations for uh, web.dev. I mean, one of them is like where it will show, like share your staging link. But then another one is it reads through all the text and tells you if there's any like ableist language or other types of things. And I like, I like that it like yells at you. It's like, <laughs> fix these things. Yeah. Yeah, those are, and so that is all stuff that you could do in a build plugin now. Um, and reporting back to GitHub is like, 
it's a thing that you can do, but right now it would be a manual process because you have all the information that you need in a build plugin or in the build process to know this is the PR that you're using. This is the GitHub repo and all that kind of stuff. So you could add your GitHub token as a, uh, an environment variable and, and send those messages, but it would be very manual. So what we're looking at is how to make that a built-in thing. Because there are utilities for, uh, for build plugins to do things like failing a build, printing warnings, letting people know that things you know did or didn't work. Um, and so one of the things we're thinking about is how could we add utilities for reporting to Slack, reporting to GitHub, things like that. Um, and if you want to hear about those, like if you're excited, please tweet at us because uh, usually <laughs> seeing people want things is, is a great way them. to get it prioritized. Product market fit. <laughs> Wait, uh, that's analysis. so funny. Like, not only are, are you getting yelled at on GitHub, but you get yelled at on Slack <laughs> yes. in front of everyone else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just kind of clicked through the catalog that uh, you all have right now, and there's some really cool stuff here that, you know, it, um, I've had to do manually before. So the fact that you just have a one-click plugin for these things. Like what, Chris? Be specific. Uh, yeah, sure. I've been looking like, uh, I think uh, the, the little no, no More 404, it's kind of a fun, you know, especially for when you're doing your static sites and it's common where I might change something and forget about it. And I'm like, oh. Um, like a reroute. Uh, uh, or just alert you of the Lighthouse stuff uh, uh, in my CSS. I'm just, I've just kind of glanced through this. I'm like, oh, these are all like kind of, yeah. Well, Nick, and you can do like utility stuff, like setting a, um, you can set up like sitemaps. You can automatically yeah. generate a sitemap uh, with a build plugin and, and little things like that that just, it's like a chore that you were going to have to do and now you don't have to. And, and it, it just makes your life that much easier. It, it kind of reminds me when we were all kind of uh, uh, first discovering Gulp and Grunt plugins, like, oh, mm. uh, th this, yeah. just do it, does it for me? Wild. Um, <laughs> Um, well, yeah, very cool. Yeah, so tell me about this new feature that launched today. Yes, we're so excited about this one. So this, uh, this feeds into the deploy preview experience, right? So um, one of the things that we have always been very excited about was one of the first features we launched is when you open a pull request on GitHub, Netlify will build a deploy preview branch. So you get a, like a special my favorite URL. Thing about it. Oh, it's mine too. Like that was what attracted me to the company in the first place was this idea that I didn't have to spin up a dev machine or go ask for an extra staging environment to be able to see works in progress. We, e we each could have a PR and see that PR as, as a work in progress. And so today we're, we're working more toward a better collaboration story because deploy previews and GitHub PRs are really, really good for developers. We work in, in GitHub, we, we live in, in pull requests, and that's how we communicate. But when we start taking that to the rest of the company, you know, the marketing team, the sales team, the, the content team, they're not necessarily GitHub native, like they don't live there. So what, we're, what we launched today is this idea of collaborative deploy previews. We added a comment drawer. So now you can send a deploy preview to somebody and they can comment right there in the deploy preview and that feedback gets synced to GitHub. So developers continue to work in GitHub where they would expect. But the product team can then enable, um, you know, a, a different integration with their product tool and the comments will sync there. You can take screenshots, you can do light annotations, um, and you can request re review from like any number of people. We've got this special reviewer role that will let anybody comment, but it doesn't give them any special access to your, your stuff. Um, and what this unlocks for us 
is now when I'm a developer, I'm getting feedback in the right context. You know, I, I send somebody, because like, you know, I don't know if this is an experience that you have often, but my experience with, with sending things around is you'll get like a Word document with screenshots and, mm -hmm. and like, then you have to kind of port that Word document into your GitHub issue and make sure that that gets actually tracked. And you just kind of have a lot of feedback in a lot of different channels that you have to triage. And so what we're hoping is that this makes it approachable enough for everybody at, at any level of the organization to leave feedback in a very intuitive way and make sure that that all gets triaged into the place where you're going to work on it. So if you're on the product team, it ends up in, in your tool. If you're on GitHub, it's going to end up in GitHub and, and you'll be able to kind of collaborate and work back and forth to, to get those issues resolved and, and get your deploy previews uh, like really solid feedback. Okay. I have some practical questions. Um, how does this work? Because the first thing I think of when it comes to wanting feedback on a PR from someone who's not living in GitHub is designers and then also content editors. So like if you're working on an article, we, we do a lot of back and forth with uh, content and then they'll go through and like comment on the GitHub issue. But then also with design, you don't like it's harder to comment because there's not really a line of code. There is a line of code, but it, it, that's not how you think of design usually. So how like where does this appear? Like what is the comment pane? Is it like per page? Like do, can you click on like an area? Like how does that work? Yeah. So the the comment pane is is per page. It kind of looks like those. Uh, you know when you go to a website and it's got that like little uh, chat box. There's a little bubble in the bottom. Mm -hmm. So it's it's like that, and you can slide it out and then see the list of comments and those are split up by pages. So you, you can anchor to a certain page in the deploy preview and say like, I want people to review this page. Cause a lot of times a deploy preview is, you know, we change the marketing page, not the home page, but the deploy preview itself would start you at the home page. You'd have to navigate to the right place. So we're, we've made it so that you can say, I'm looking for feedback on this page. That's where people will start when they, when they visit the deploy preview and um, they can. So for design, for example, we have a screenshot feature where you can uh, take a screenshot and then like drag it into the comment window and we'll include it there. Uh, so you can do, you know, do that kind of work. Um, there's light annotation, like I said, so that you can kind of circle things and point to things. Um, and all of that gives you the ability to get that contextual feedback on like, oh, this paragraph needs work. You can screenshot it or like this heading needs to be, you know, needs more spacing and you screenshot that. So the idea is all of that is going to be done in place on the deploy preview so that you don't have to take the screenshot, go find it in your downloads folder, move it into Slack, and then the developer has to take it out of Slack and move it back into GitHub. Um, we, If you take that screenshot and upload it through deploy preview commenting, you will then see it in GitHub with the screenshot and the the comment that was made about it. So the developers kind of get that whole thing in their, their standard uh, PR workflow. That is really cool. Like the, not only that you have an area to have this discussion, but also that it pulls onto GitHub and the conversation is on GitHub. And that that I think is really, really, really cool. I definitely um, I'm excited to check this out. Yeah, it's, I, it, we're, we're so excited about it. Now, I'm curious as somebody who can't use GitHub at work right now. <laughs> um, and it makes me sad every day. Are you in GitLab? Uh, no, we're Bitbucket. Oh, okay. um, 
Um, uh, I'm curious if it, uh, if there's a plan to expand it's, past GitHub. No, it's coming. I, under, I understand it. <laughs> no, it's coming. It's coming. It? Okay. <laughs> yeah, GitLab and Bitbucket are, are okay. both um, they're they're important to us as a as a customer. So we are working on it. Perfect. Um, All right. But for now, you could just watch <laughs> no. my repos and <laughs> have a fork simmer in jealousy. <laughs> cool. So, Jason, is there anything else that you want to share with our audience today? Um, well, I guess one one thing that I didn't mention that uh, may be worth calling out that's new since last time is we also do now have support for like enterprise GitHub, GitLab, and Bitbucket. So on-premises accounts are now supported on Netlify as well. We're really going all in on trying to make this viable as a, an enterprise workflow. Um, yeah. And so there's there's been a lot of work in that space to make it work for larger teams that have, you know, that aren't using like the public versions. Um, but outside of that, we're we're super excited to go all in on collaboration. And if you've got ideas of what you want to see, what you'd want to what you'd want to do, please come and find me. Um, I live on Twitter more than I should. So <laughs> you'll find me there. <laughs> What's your handle? Uh, at Jay Langstorff. Um, which is impossible to spell, so please check the show notes. <laughs> J L E N G S T O R F Langstorf. J Langstorf. I think your name is. is I don't is think phonetic. it's that hard. Yeah, it's phonetic, right? I, you know, I don't think it's that hard either. But it, it goes it goes poorly uh, in the mail. Okay, that's fair. Yes. <laughs> and Jason is the VP of Developer Experience at Netlify. So if you have things to complain about complain at <laughs> you, you know where to find me <laughs> the best person to complain to yes or feature requests i always find it super helpful to see what people are struggling with and what they want to do for real i i love that like i always want to hear what people are are interested in what they're excited about what you wish you could do because a lot of times those are the discussions that that lead to the best ideas yeah. yes and for CSS, that's me. So at me for <laughs> uh, speaking of CSS, I do want to do a little shout out because my team just released a brand new course that's called Learn CSS on Web.dev. It's Web.dev slash Learn CSS. It's 24 individual modules all about the topic of styling uh, that you can go through either all at once or go at them individually at your own pace. Um, but that is another little resource for you. Uh, definitely have used deploy previews and all those great features um, to build that site and it's live. So check it out. I have no shout outs except to our sponsor. Um, uh, clean transition. Um, one more quick shout out to our sponsor, Voyage. Check them out for full stack QA deployments at voyageapp.io slash toolsday uh, and get 20% off your first month with them. Which is awesome. Yeah. That's a really great deal. So definitely check out Voyage. Uh, check out Netlify if you haven't yet also. It is um, another great build tool and the show is all about tools. So we definitely appreciate having you on the show, Jason. And we appreciate Voyage for sponsoring us. And if you're building in today's environment, it is funny talking about this because I feel like so much has changed from when we started the show. And we were talking about like, oh, what is Grunt? What is Gulp? What is uh, Express? Broccoli. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's it's just crazy, um, but it's definitely great to see tooling that is enterprise focused because that's how you make money. That also cares about user experience and cares about like how can we make this easy for people to integrate building things with their whole team. Um, so I love that about the tools that we've been seeing evolve. And yeah, I guess that's all we have for today. But these are some dope features, and we'll we'll check them out. 
today. (laughs) 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 Bye, everyone. (laughs) All right, I'm going to hit.